Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, the podcast where we discuss current trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that improve patient care. My name is Natalie Nguyen, Medication Safety Pharmacy Manager at BC Health. Today, we will be chatting with Michelle Holly, the Medication Safety Officer at Mount Carmel Health System in Columbus, Ohio, about ISMP best practice number 17, safeguarding against errors with oxytocin use, and how the best practice recommendations can be implemented within a health system. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Natalie. So let's start off with the first question. What is the goal of the ISMP best practice number 17? ISMP Best Practice 17 provides best practice recommendations to minimize the risk of errors with IV oxytocin in the peripartum setting. This new best practice was published in 2022, subsequent to error report analysis previously published by ISMP and ISMP Canada. Such errors caused hyperstimulation of the uterus, resulting in complications such as fetal distress, uterine rupture, emergency C-section, and death. The analysis identified multiple opportunities to improve orders, communication, standardization, and technology. The findings were the basis of this new recommendation that we are reviewing today. Well, thank you again for your time and being able to help improve maternal health. So the first best practice recommendation is to require the use of standard order sets for prescribing oxytocin, antepartum, and postpartum. How can this be standardized across all health systems? Well, Natalie, most health systems use some form of an EMR or electronic medical record, which can help to standardize ordering of specific medications via order sets. Use of an evidence-based, peer-reviewed order set can be required in these systems for high-risk medications or procedures. For oxytocin, the order set can drive the provider to select the correct dosing and dosing units to treat the patient in their phase of labor and when ordered correctly, can facilitate new administration orders for oxytocin once the patient has delivered. This practice can also help validate the appropriate indication at the point of prescribing, since oxytocin may potentially be confused for other medications when searching the EMR using only three letters, such as typing in PIT, OXY, or OXY10. Thank you, Michelle, for pointing that out. It's also important within this context to consider the perspective of the provider and how they would search for these order sets. Moving on to our next question, is there a standardized approach for oxytocin dosing units? And if so, how does that differ between antepartum dosing for labor induction and augmentation and postpartum dosing for bleeding control? Yes, this is important. Oxytocin is dosed differently for the induction of labor versus a prevention of postpartum bleeding. Your order sets should clearly delineate the differences and drive the rate changes safely after the patient delivers. Most protocols have oxytocin doses as milliunits per minute, but postpartum dosing options can also be entered as mLs per hour. Now, I want to point out here that with the use of a standard IV bag that contains 30 units per 500 mLs, then any dose of 1 milliunit per minute equals 1 mL per hour. So it's a one-to-one conversion there. Unfortunately, though, currently oxytocin is not included on the ASHP standardized for safety list for adult continuous infusions, so there are multiple options that we see used in practice. Thank you, Michelle. It sounds like we have a great idea for the next edition. 
Since we're talking about dosing units, from a smart pump perspective, how has your organization built the drug library entries to match your standardized orders and support nursing with selection of the correct pump entries for oxytocin? Yes, it's very important that the EMR and your smart drug library are matched. Our organization has a profile in our drug library specifically for labor and delivery. So once the nurse selects this profile, they have the following options to select. The first is oxytocin labor, and the second option is listed as oxytocin PP, which stands for postpartum. Both of our entries utilize the 30 units of oxytocin per 500 mLs and are set up in the pumps to program as milliunits per minute, which matches our order sets. The difference is that our guardrails are set at a much higher dosing limit with the postpartum entry. And we also with that this entry cannot provide a bolus from the bag. What about you, Natalie? My organization is similar, except we utilize a milliunit per hour for the units at the point of ordering and the pump reflexes as well. And our options are oxytocin induction and oxytocin postpartum within the labor and delivery library. The next best practice recommendation focuses on standardizing the available presentation of oxytocin infusions in the health system. What does your health system use and have you safely addressed lookalike issues with other infusions? So yes, Natalie, like I mentioned before, our organization had already utilized the 30 units of oxytocin per 500 ml. Within our organization, the pharmacy compounds all of our oxytocin IV bags. But I understand other health systems may use a 503B compounding pharmacy. Either way, the IV bags should be visibly different than other 500 ml bags used in your institution. Prior to the ISMP best practice publication, our oxytocin IV bags were only labeled with a pharmacy-specific batched IV label, and we stored them in the refrigerator, which was part of our perpetual inventory system, so there was barcode validation for storage. We also do store them in automated dispensing cabinets, and we have a barcode validation process there as well, and our nursing teams are expected to scan the medication barcode prior to administration to the patient. At my organization, we follow something very similar. We do utilize a 503B compounding pharmacy to provide our oxytocin bags, and it takes advantage of the capability to store at room temperature. And this helps to make part of our postpartum hemorrhage kits more readily available to the healthcare team in the automated dispensing cabinets. The challenge, of course, is when oxytocin is on shortage and the pharmacy has to compound them. At that point in time, we ensure that there is appropriate communication and reminders within our medication preparation workflows to support the appropriate high alert labeling. So let's go back to the oxytocin infusion supplied by the pharmacy. What has your organization done to meet the best practice recommendations to boldly label both sides of the oxytocin infusion? That's a great question because I have to admit that our pharmacy leadership team originally expressed concern about any additional auxiliary labeling on these bags. And there was some confusion about what was meant when ISMT said boldly label. But our team has since agreed that we would add a bold green oxytocin label on the side of our IV bags opposite of the batched label. We also add an high alert sticker as well for additional labeling. Our pharmacy teams and our nursing teams were educated on this process, and we have checklists in place with our compounding practices to ensure that stickers and labels are applied and they cover the IV fluid names and the IV fluid barcodes to make sure that the barcode scanning is accurate on the unit. What about you? 
Michelle, I would definitely say that great minds think alike. We have very similar processes when the pharmacy has to compound it. Also, when the ICP best practices were published, we reached out to our 503B compounding pharmacy to request the addition of that back label. And since then, they were able to implement this request. No, that's great. I've heard some other sites that have had challenges with that. And now for our last question. How have you worked with your nursing colleagues in labor and delivery to support the last recommendation to avoid bringing oxytocin IV bags to the patient bedside until they are needed? This is difficult. Our labor and delivery nurses are doing their best every day to care for their patients, given their high workloads, their own best practice recommendations, and ultimately staffing challenges. We realize that workarounds can develop when there's an environment that doesn't always support the right thing, or, and sometimes more importantly, if the clinician does not understand why behind a process. For us, collaboration and communication have been key to implementing these changes successfully. We work closely with our nursing teams to help eliminate barriers to their ability to provide safe patient care. We also provide an SBAR tool for any major changes so that we can effectively outline the situation, the background, the assessment, and the recommendation for safe medication use. And the SBAR tool is a standard practice within our organization. So in this case with the oxytocin recommendations, the immediate availability of oxytocin when needed really is the barrier. And the explanation of lookalike bags is why we need to limit the number of IV bags at the patient's bedside. This is very important to be able to prevent errors as per the ISMP recommendation. How have you accomplished this at your site, Natalie? Thanks, Michelle. I wanted to also point out that I appreciate you talking about the whys. So much of what we do in medication safety relies on helping to prevent those errors. And I think it's so important to ensure that the team members are aware of that why and what they're doing to be more intentional. At my organization, since there are orders for induction and postpartum oxytocin utilization, a nurse should remove the medication under a patient's profile pursuant to pharmacist verification. And if there is an emergent need, oxytocin bags are available in the postpartum hemorrhage kit. Pharmacy reviews the override rates on a monthly basis through the Medication Safety Committee and investigates situations where oxytocin was removed on override. As part of that process, to avoid administration of the wrong medication during these critical phases of the peripartum patient, medications are not brought to the bedside unless ordered. In addition, we have an ADC alert that discourages healthcare team members from grabbing a bag of oxytocin for just-in-case use at the bedside. That's a great suggestion. Thanks, Natalie. And that's all the time that we have today. I want to thank Michelle for joining us today to discuss ISMP best practice number 17, safeguarding against errors with oxytocin use. And if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ACHP's medication safety resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the Patient Safety Resource Center, patient education resources through the safemedication.com, and exchange ideas and ask questions with your peers on the ACHP Medication Safety Connects community. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of ACHP's podcast on medication safety, and be sure to subscribe to ACHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.